Welcome to the Discover Church Podcast. We are a Christian faith community based out of Denver, Colorado. Join us this week as we bring our uncertainties to an unchanging God. If you have any questions about the sermon, please feel free to send them in. You can email them to us at hello at discoverdenver.church. Hey, we've been doing this series, uh, I Love My Church. Here's what's cool. We're not doing like, here's the values and vision of Discover Church, and here's why we're so awesome, okay? We're, I mean, <clears throat> to be honest with you, there's a lot of great churches around. In fact, we're friends with a lot of great churches that are in the city, and we believe in them. So we're not claiming to say, I love my church more than I would ever love any other church. We're not making claims like that. What we're saying is, I love my church because we're doing everything we can to line up with um, what God has called the church historically. We're not trying to make up our own thing. We may have Q&A, which we do, uh, where you can text in questions if you're wrestling with faith. That number's on your bulletin. Uh, We may have those sort of things. We may do service differently, okay, at Discover Church. We may make claims like, hey, we're actually digging deeper for a fuller relationship with Jesus, all these things. But we're not trying to do our own thing. We're actually part of this tradition called Christianity. Now, here's what's cool. We've been talking about household of God. What is the household of God? The body of Christ. We're talking about these terms, these terms that on our own we have trouble understanding. The one tonight is very interesting because it talks about um, a topic that we all may view differently. We're talking about the, the term bride of Christ. To say, I love my church and we are the bride of Christ. And we talk about bride, weddings, faithfulness, marriage. All those things mean different things to different people because those are broken terms in our society. Okay? They're not held together with strength like we wish they were. The bride of Christ is a fascinating way of, of um, observing what the church is. Here's what's interesting. When Jesus came, regardless of what you think about Jesus, uh, when he came, when there's a man named Jesus who came uh, to this earth, Theologically, what we find is in the scriptures, Jesus comes for the first time, and we are now, after he died, rose from the grave, we are now engaged. This is kind of the terminology that's used. We're engaged to Christ. The church at large is engaged. We are betrothed. We have been bought with a price. And when Christ comes back, then it's like a marriage takes place. So there's this term people use, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And you're like, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. It's strange. We're not going to go there. I'm just saying that's like, we're talking about a marriage that takes place at the return of Christ, but we're in a middle stage. We're in a stage where we're engaged. We're in the stage where people get cold feet, okay, when they get engaged. We're in the stage where people start to wonder, is the groom coming back for the bride? Because back in ancient Near Eastern times, when the groom would leave, whenever the fiance would leave, they're leaving to prepare a place and, and they have this faithfulness with each other, even though there's great distance. And then when he, when he comes back, the place is prepared, the life is made full, and the marriage takes place. But we're in this middle stage. Here's what's interesting about an engagement. Cold feet. Cold feet. A lot of times we will talk to people who actually will say, I'm getting cold feet, or how did you know that they're the one? All these sort of things. When Lisa and I were engaged, 
we were walking around what they called the prayer walk, okay? This was at the university we went to, and they made up this thing that said, if you walk the prayer walk three times, you're going to get married to each other, okay? So, you're, so like, I, I resisted walking the prayer walk with any woman, even one time, okay? Unless they get the idea that I would want, unless we're engaged. So we're engaged walking the prayer walk. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't know, I'm getting cold feet. I don't know if this is going to work. This is going to be really hard. Marriage is not going to be easy. And so I told her, I remember we're on the third lap, okay? So we're like circling around and we're about to make this myth become a reality, right? And uh, I said, I don't, I don't know if I can follow through with this. At the engagement phase, when we're getting... Now, here's what happened. Through tears, rightfully so, we've been planning a wedding. We've been planning our lives together. We've known each other for years. Best friend, she looks at me and she says... What have I done to not make you want uh, to marry me? And nothing. Nothing. I remember looking at her and saying, nothing, you haven't. And it was just like a few minutes of talking that through. And like now we're committed, have a family together. And, and like things are way different. But I remember through tears in her eyes saying, what have I done to make you not want to marry me? And I had cold feet and had trouble with commitment. And in those type of moments, You reflect on that. So whether you're married, single, whatever stage of life you're in, dating someone, it doesn't matter. When it comes time for strong commitment, um, I feel like Christ looks at us with tears in his eyes saying, is there anything I have done to make you not want to commit to me? And some of you may say yes, but I don't think it was Jesus who did it. I think it was someone else. And some of you may say, I've never thought of it in those terms. We are the bride of Christ collectively, but since we're collectively made up of people, we, we, are, we operate as people that are in love with Jesus, in love with Jesus. So he, here's a question I want you to think about. You ready? What do you think God thinks about when he thinks about you? What do you think God thinks about when he thinks about you? When I think about myself, it actually, if I'm going to say, I'll just fess up. If I'm going to say, this is what God thinks about me, it actually depends on whether I'm having a good day or a bad day. If I'm having a good day, okay? If I've, if I've followed through with all my phone calls, if I haven't um, lied to someone, if I feel like that I've been a good person, if I woke up early and made breakfast for the family, okay? If I did the dishes, okay? If I did all these things and I'm doing good, then if you ask me on that day, what does God think about you? What do you think God thinks about you when you think about God? I'd probably say, he's pleased with me. Look what I did today, okay? If, on the other hand, I had a bad day. If it wasn't a day where I felt like I was myself, it was a day that I had criticism come my way, I didn't respond well. Whatever a bad day would be, if I get in an argument with my family, if a bad day happened, if you ask me, what do you think God thinks about when he thinks about you? Um, I'd probably respond differently. I think if we're honest with ourselves, this is going on in our hearts. What do you think God thinks about when he thinks about you? If you say, well, it depends on good day or bad day. It's, it's not just that. I think it depends on how people view you, okay? How people view you. You say, people view me in a positive light. Uh, then you're probably going to think God views you in a positive light. If you think people view me in a negative light, you feel like your boss views you in a negative light. You feel like the people around you are suspicious of you. You feel like you've burned bridges. You feel like all this stuff. Well, then you may think, well, God doesn't think about me in a very fond manner. What do you think God thinks about when he thinks about you has a whole lot to do 
with your relationship or lack of relationship with God. A.W. Tozer said the most important thing that we think about is our thoughts about God and how he thinks about us and how he thinks about us. So when I say the term bride of Christ, this is like a really big deal. Because on the one side of things, we're going, well, then we, we have this intimate relationship with Christ. On the other side of things, we go, but I have this broken view of marriage and relationships, and I want nothing to do with that sort of intimacy. And across the board, we're going to have to lay all of our suspicions down. What do you think God thinks about when he thinks about you? The bride of Christ, to be the church, the bride of Christ says something incredible about you. In fact, one scholar said, other than Jesus' death, burial, and bodily resurrection from the grave, the greatest love story about our relationship with God is found in Hosea. The greatest love story about our relationship with God. Now, here's what's interesting. You just meditated on some verses, one that talks about a jealous lover, that Jesus is jealous for his people, jealous for his people. And another one that talks about he is rejoicing over us like a bridegroom. These verses don't contradict each other, but I think the book of Hosea brings the two together to show us this is how God responds to us in our unfaithfulness, the bride of Christ. So here's what's amazing about this book. Uh, I'm just going to tell you up front, in the book, God tells a prophet to marry a prostitute, okay? In the book. You go, I've never heard of this book. It's not one we tell the kids in kids' church necessarily, okay? Because then we're going to have a lot of explaining to do. It's going to be pretty confusing for you. In the book, whenever the prostitute is unfaithful, God again tells them, tells Hosea, I want you to now go and make another vow. Like have another wedding with them. And the question is why? Well, the prophets, the prophets in the Old Testament, a lot of times they weren't just told, this is what you declare. What they were told is that you're gonna, your life is going to be a picture of this declaration. A lot of prophets would go through some strange things. And I don't know about you, but if it got to me and I was chosen to be Hosea and, and, they were, they, and God told me, he said, this is, this is what your life's going to look like. You're operating in a way that's going to tell a story about my faithfulness to an unfaithful people. I would go, great, until he tells me, go find your wife in the red light district. Okay. And you go, I, I don't, hearing God is already hard for me. I'm pretty sure I didn't hear him clearly. And then time and time and time again, Hosea was well-regarded, well-regarded in Northern Israel. His reputation went on the line. And this is what happens. Hosea chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Hosea. And this is where the love story begins. Okay, In verse 2, he says, When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. So this is like, I don't know how you would word this if you were writing this thing. And there's a reason why there's cement that's separating us from the kids' church right now. Okay? Uh, the Lord is very direct. Find someone who's refer referred to as a whore. And God has in mind who? Have children of whoredom for the Lord commits great, or for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dibl uh, Dibliam, 
and she conceived and bore him a son. Now here's where the love story begins. Many prophets, many prophets were living out the type of story that they were saying. Well, here's where it all begins. In this part, we actually don't have evidence that Hosea knows what he's in for. He actually knows the command that he has. He knows what he's, he's getting into, but we don't have evidence that he knows that Gomer, what her life is like. The love story begins this way. It always begins this way. It's always easier to have a testimony to talk about. I know where I've come from. I know the type of life that I've come from. I know what God's calling me to. These sort of words that we talk about, the dreaming phase, the building phase, okay? Testimonies. When we talk about testimonies, when we say, this used to be my life, that's always easier than talking about the present day unfaithfulness that we have to deal with. So I just want to stop here for a second and say the love story begins for you and I in this incredible way where we know there's a calling on our life. And by the way, we're not Hosea in this story, okay? Christ refers to himself as Hosea. We're not Hosea in this story. We are Gomer. And it's always easier to say, yes, I was that way. That's who I was. Those are the things I used to do. In fact, um, it's moving when we watch videos of people that tell their testimony. And you go, what is What does that word testimony mean? It just means we share the story of where we've come from. And it's always easier because we're talking about a mess that was in the past. We're not really letting you into the skeletons in the closet right now, but this is how the love story begins. And what's amazing about this whole story is that although Christ came and will come back again, and that'll be the fulfillment of this love story, what we have is this story that's telling us how the whole thing works itself out. So the people that are part of a church that wherever you're at with Jesus and you're able to say, I have a past, and you're just there. Say, I have a past. You go, I know that Christ will come for me even with my past. And you may even be here and say, I have a relationship with Jesus, and I've had a relationship with Jesus, and he saved me from X, Y, and Z. He saved me from this past. Or you may say, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I've done some things that are literally the darkest, most horrible things the moments I would never share with anyone, anyone, and you can't dig it up. And the love story starts here. Go find a whore. Go find one and live a life where you start to have children with them. Meaning like live a committed life. The love story starts here. With your testimony, where you're at right now, with all the mess, it starts here. This starts here. And here's what's fascinating. When we worked at a university, the university we worked at would have, in order to get into the university as a Christian university, they would have students write up their testimony. What's your story? Like, what's, what did Jesus save you from? Okay, not just, are you following Jesus? What did he save you from? And they would be able to say that, right? Verse two, it's as Gomer be able to say, this is what I, this was my reputation before, and this is what I'm moving towards. They would be able to say that. What happened then is the reality is we're actually always living with a mess. Our life is always a mess. We're always moving into some sort of direction. You're either moving forward, backward, side, side. We're moving in some sort of direction. And it's like what's on paper, what we wrote on paper in order to move in this journey. I may have a different testimony tomorrow because I have a different uh, mess today. The story starts with a faithful person knowing the reputation 
of un, an unfaithful person and committing in the face of that unfaithfulness. This is where our love story starts. But this is where it continues. The love story unravels. I want to tell you kind of the story before we, before we like jump into chapter three. The love story unravels, okay? Things start to come undone, and this is where you probably relate to Gomer the, the best. This is where the church at large, large, when people say there's so many hypocrites in the church, and there's, there's so many imperfect people, and there's so many liars, and there's so many this. Yes, and we understand that makes up this entity called the church, and then it becomes confusing because we say we're the bride of Christ. How does God pursue his bride? What does he do in order to pursue his bride? The love story unravels like this. They have children together. The children, by the way, Gomer, that name alone obviously is like a little like, oh, that's, that's a strange name to relate to. But they have children who have names that are identifying them, the unfaithfulness of Israel. So they have children that God is telling Hosea, name your child this. They have a boy, a girl, and then a boy. Name your child this, this, and this. And I want you to do this by way of showing the people in commitment, in intimacy, Things are starting to unravel. Things are starting to unravel. And it looks like things are going okay. Hosea has a job as a prophet. He's saying things that are hard to say, but we actually don't know about a lot of unfaithfulness that's happening until chapter 3 comes up. And uh, we have indications throughout, but then chapter 3 comes out, and, and things are unraveling, unraveling. And I just picture it like this. I picture it like, Hosea slowly starting to have these kids with Gomer, and then she's saying like to his kids, hey, do you know where mom's at? Have you seen mom? They go, no, I haven't seen mom in a while, okay? Hey, do you know where mom's at? No, I haven't seen mom in a while, okay? Looking in the closet, looking around the house, looking next door, Gomer's gone, Right? And the unfaithfulness that she had before, her reputation before, is starting to creep up now. And he's going, she's gone. And then chapter 3, verse 1 pops up, and this is where we get into the unraveling. It says, and the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. He's saying like, she's being unfaithful to you. Your suspicion is right. She's being, being unfaithful to you and things start to fall apart. And imagine, just imagine if you're Hosea and you're walking around and you're going into now the red light district, you're going to the streets that people don't go to and you go, I have to, I'm like, I have to look for her. It's not like that. God presents her right here to him. He has to go out and pursue. Again, this is an image of how is God pursuing the bride of Christ? How is he doing this? And the unfaithfulness that makes up, and and the, the people that make up the bride of Christ is a bunch of unfaithful, imperfect people. What is God's reaction to this? Is he jealous? Yes. Does he burn with anger towards the other things and towards our decision? Yes, he does. But how does he respond to our unfaithfulness? The whole story is given to us so that in our engagement, we can live with greater greater faithfulness. And this is what I picture. Hosea is going out into the streets that no one wants to go to, into those streets. And they're going, hey, that's he's a prophet. What's he doing over here? You got the pimps, you got the prostitutes, 
They kind of know of him and his reputation and his whole reputation's on the line. And he goes up to them and says, hey, have you, um, like, I don't know how to word this, but have you seen my wife? They go, what are you doing down here? Like, what, what would your wife be doing here? And he said, without talking bad about, have you seen my wife? He heard from God, he needs to go find her. And um, they go, no. And I, and I even picture him going up to someone and them going, I, I had no idea. I didn't know you guys were still together. It was, I, like, I'm sorry. Have you seen my wife? She went this way. And he shows up finding her in like this really scandalous area. Um, the whole entire time that he's looking for her, the whole entire time he's looking for her, I just can't imagine what it would take to love someone so much that you're willing to put up with all this and have the strength of God and for God to say, I need you to do this to represent me. Everything Hosea has worked for, as far as his reputation, as far as his credibility, all this is on the line as God's telling him, I want you to go do this. It's a very scandalous story. And it mirrors Jesus in so many ways because I go, I don't know what kind of reputation God had before me, but I know for me to say to the people that I knew in high school, for me to say, yes, I, I, I follow this man named Jesus, his reputation shot. <laughs> like it's shot. They go, yeah, but in high school, Preston, you were the guy that, and I go, yeah, I know. I know, but he pursued me and he never stopped pursuing me. And his church, he pursues. In the engagement, in the process that we're in, where we say, I, I learn about Christ, I learn about this one who loves my soul, he pursues me and he never stops pursuing. And we go, yeah, but I've messed up and it's easier to say I messed up like way years ago, but I actually messed up like now and, and things are broken now and the mess is here now. And to know collectively as a church, he does this with every single person. He pursues the church because it is the love is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's this love that transforms. This is what does it. This is what does it. And if you're wondering, what was Hosea's reaction when he found her? Where did he find her? Uh, that's what we're getting into next. The love story goes on. Hosea chapter 3, verse 2. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley, and I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man, so will I also be with you. So here's how this whole thing continues. Commentators tell us that he found her probably being sold as a sex slave at an auction. So you imagine finding, finding your wife on an auction and you go, I, th I thought she was mine. I thought she was mine. And people in the room thought she was yours, but she's, she's been everywhere now. And um, now people are bidding on her. And you go, but Hosea, you have a right to her. This is your wife. You don't have to buy her. You have a right to her. And he says, I will buy her. I will put up the most to buy her. And I'll tell her, be faithful to me because I've bought you with a price. And I will be faithful to you. 
And by the way, the, the, the word tells us that the whole earth is God's. The entire earth is God. Everything is God's. Okay? And he could c- command us and bring us in and force us in and force this love upon us. But he actually bought us with a price in hopes that this changes our hearts, in hopes that it does. When we are being used and abused by the enemy and by the people in our life, in our worst state, in our most embarrassing state, in our darkest state, when the church looks like this, Jesus says, I will give the highest price for that. I'll give the highest price. The story is an amazing story. When we talk about the bride of Christ, talk about what does it mean to be deeply loved by God. Here's what's hard about this entire series. When we hear these messages, when we hear that this is a household of God, when we hear that we are the bride of Christ, and we go, yes, he's bought us, and we operate as a body of Christ, moving as one, mission together, and we hear that, We can be really excited about that, but what we know is throughout this series, when we say, I love my church, what we're actually supposed to be declaring, what God has done for the church at large and what the church at large is doing for the neighborhood and the city, we should be doing individually for our neighbors. This is what's really, really hard. We should be doing everything that God's doing for the church, we should be doing for the people in our life. This is where it gets challenging. This is where it gets hard, that the people in our life that we would say are so far from who I am, wherever you're at, you say they're so far from who I am, and you go, "Um, there's a lot that they've done that's hurt me, that's broken me, that God would say, yes, can you pay a high price for them? Because I will tell you this, self-sacrificial love is the most powerful force in the universe the most powerful force. And for him to buy her back shows us that the love story, it's not changing. Let's read verse four real quick. Chapter three, verse four. For the children of Israel, this is right after he tells her, you belong to me. I've bought you. I will be faithful to you. You be faithful to me. For the children of Israel, shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. So they're going to lose all the things that they have security in. They're going to lose it like you did, Gomer. They're going to be in the same state that you were in right now. The children of Israel will. Afterward, the children of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king which is a messianic prophecy of Christ because Christ comes from the line of David and they will seek him and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. That there is no lover less wild about you or every other lover is less wild about you than Jesus. That in the same way, Hosea says, Gomer, like I, In the same way I just did this for you, all who are hearing this, God's doing this for you. The story doesn't change. The story goes on and that he does this for you when everything's stripped away from you. I mean, she's in front of him almost naked if she wasn't naked or just barely has clothes on to expose herself. Imagery of what he's about to prophesy to say, when you feel the shame of the things that you put your security in, 
And you wonder, yeah, like my testimony before was one thing, but like I still messed up. It was still a mess. And when you do this as a people, that God says, I will still be here. I still bought you and I'm still calling you. What you think God thinks about you when he's thinking about you is really important. You, by sitting here, are participating in church right now. And if you say, I want to be part of the bride of Christ, I want to experience this love that seeks after me, that doesn't stop in my unfaithfulness, this, this is how we do it. We commit to Christ. And if you get cold feet in the engagement process, you get cold feet before Christ reigns and rules over the world and his kingdom is established. You you say, I get cold feet in that. Hopefully this is helping you um, that Christ would look at you and say with tears in his eyes, have I done anything to make you think that you shouldn't marry me? Lisa, can we have you and your team come up? I want to tell you one of the most profound things about being a church together is we have to learn to operate and move in the same direction. So when we talk about being the household of God, we talk about being the body of Christ, we talk about being the ecclesia, like this other society. When we talk about being the bride of Christ, we together get to participate in a redemption I don't think that we're ever going to get used to. I don't think you'll ever get used to the fact that God is still pursuing you. I don't think you'll get used to that. I don't think you'll get used to the fact that his faithfulness will overwhelm your unfaithfulness. I don't think you'll get used to that. And nor should you get used to that. And you go, it sounds like the simple gospel. The gospel's not, this, this is what I heard someone say before. The gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian faith. It's the A through Z. Okay. The story doesn't ever get old. The fact that God is pursuing, a faithful God is pursuing an unfaithful people and his relationship and sacrifice to buy us has now created in us faithfulness we couldn't have elsewhere. Let me put it like this. God has more affection for you than you have for anything in the world. So the thing you care most about, that you're most devoted to, he far exceeds, far exceeds. And yeah, that makes him a jealous lover. means he's jealous and goes after you. That means sometimes he's going to let things be stripped out of your life. And he's going to let people speak into your life where he goes, this hurts. Like this is not the way it's supposed to be. He says, so that you will return to me because those things hurt. And every single day of your life, this will continue to happen. The movie, The Notebook, I like feel weird saying that from the pulpit. The movie, The Notebook is one of those movies that if you don't cry at, you may not have a heart. Okay, this is the notebook. In the notebook, the notebook's about this story, this guy named Noah, um, that Noah, his wife, has, has severe amnesia and has lost all memory of Noah and their love together. And the notebook's about this story that he wrote. It's about their life. He wrote her this notebook when he started finding out that she was going in this direction. So he wrote this notebook. It's their love story. Every single day, Noah is telling her this love story. He goes into um, the assisted living home and he sits down and tells her this story. She has no idea who he is. They've been married for decades. She has no idea who he is. 
And she, he just tells her the story, the story. And things start to click slowly. She starts to go, how romantic. Did that really happen? And before you know it, at the end of the day, this happens every day, for about five minutes, she remembers him. She remembers Noah and she starts crying and she goes, this is our story. And he just has tears and says, yes, this is our story. And they embrace and they're lovers again and they're together again. And she remembers him and they dance and he has the music ready and they dance together for like three to five minutes. And then her memory leaves her and she starts to freak out. Who are you? I don't know who you are anymore. And he says, no, 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 don't leave me. And she says, I don't know who you are. I don't know who you are. And the doctors come in and have to give her shots to calm her down. And that's the end of the day. And then he starts the whole thing over the next day. And I believe for the rest of your life, every day, God will be telling you his love story. Every day, every day, every day. For weeks, for months, for years, every day. So that moments like this, where you have recollection of, he is the one who drew me in and comforted me in my time of brokenness. And you have moments of recollection and you go, that is my story. I was unfaithful, he was faithful to me. This is my story. This is our church's story. We're the bride of Christ. And you have these moments. And then we go into a time of worship. It's like you're dancing with God. We go into this time of worship. Every day he'll continue to do this. Because your memory will lapse. And you have to remind yourself. The hero of the story is Jesus and he pursues me. Not just in my old testimony. In my mess right now. On the block being sold. As I am, naked and shameful, Jesus says, now I've paid a lot for that. And I would like them. Every day. So that you could experience intimacy with him. We're the bride of Christ. So we're going to do things a little differently tonight. In prayer, this is something I feel like we need to do. I know for some of you that may sound strange, but again, we believe God speaks. We have questions that came in and our biblical studies team will actually respond this week. But I think the one question would be from God to us tonight. And that would be, what do you think God thinks about you when he thinks about you while you're on that block with shame and guilt? And that you would have to answer that question. You must answer that question. What do you think God thinks about you when he thinks about you while you're on that block, naked, shameful, and full of guilt. Lord, I thank you for tonight that the bride of Christ is being made perfect by the sacrifice of Jesus, not by the rules of religion, not by the games of church, not by the people who have heard us and said it was in the name of Jesus, but by the sacrifice of Christ, by the one who said in the darkest moment of our life, I will buy them with my life. So Lord, may we answer that question. May we know what you think about us and may that transform us. Thank you for that, God. In Jesus' name, amen.